Good morning, Meadowview, and happy Easter to you. This is an Easter like none other than I have ever experienced before in my life, and I would imagine the same for you. I cannot remember an Easter uh, that I was not gathered together with other believers. Uh, usually that involved some sort of a new plaid shirt as a kid, some, some corduroy pants. I uh, got my new Easter outfit, got to show it off to my friends at church. Uh, this Easter is a little bit different, but it's still Easter. And Easter is a day that we recognize as a day of hope. Because it's a day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And I, I imagine the, the millions upon millions of Christians across this globe who are worshiping today. And with that, as we reflect on this significant day of remembrance for Christianity comes the question, well, what is Christianity all about? That's something that's, that's asked oftentimes and something that's often answered by many voices that are attempting to determine what Christians are about. And they say that Christians are about uh, political agendas. Oftentimes in our country, political agendas that are conservative on one end. And we're trying to, as Christians, get conservative Supreme Court nominees. Sometimes Christianity is lumped in and summarized with politics. They say that Christianity is about discrimination against Muslims, the LGBTQ community, or anybody else that we disagree with. Christians, they're the ones who really love Chick-fil-A right? <laughs> Christians are arrogant, they're judgmental, they're, they're hypocritical, they're prudes. Uh, still others will say something like that the Christians are the ones who are, are following the teachings of Jesus. Christians feed the poor. We've seen that in our own community as churches are rising to meet the needs of our citizens during this time. Christians are those who start orphanages. One of my favorite from church history this was the first century. Christians are, are cannibals. You've probably never heard that one before. But it was a stereotype that came about because they, the Christians were talking about eating the, the, the body of Jesus and drinking His blood, which was a metaphor for our celebration of the Lord's Supper and Communion. And the truth is, many of these things that I've said, they, they matter. Some of these things are very true. Christians can be very hypocritical. And, and let's be honest, who doesn't like a good Chick-fil-A sandwich? Yet none of these things that I've mentioned are truly central to what it is to be a Christian. Because nothing matters more than what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 15. That will be our text for today. But before I read, I want to clarify something with you. This, this book, this, this Bible we believe to be inspired by God. And literally, what that means is that it is the product of God's very breath. These words are God's breath. And, and though I often make statements like Paul writes or, or Paul says, Paul being the author of this letter to the Corinthians and the Galatian letter that we've been studying, the real truth is Paul was writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy 
Spirit, meaning the words that we read today are the words of the one who created you. These are the words of the one who loves you. These are the words of the one who has given himself for you. So please give attention now as I read 1 Corinthians 15 and the first 11 verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of which of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me, for I am the last of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that it was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Father, as we consider these truths together today, we pray that you would work mightily in our lives. Spirit, that you would have free reign to challenge us, uh, to point out where we have moved, to point out where we are not living in obedience to your gospel truth. Lord, I pray that you would work today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul opens chapter 15 reminiscing about his time with the Corinthians. You see, a couple of years earlier, Paul had been in the city of Corinth, and according to the book of Acts, he spent a year and a half, 18 months. What did he do for 18 months? Well, verse 1 says that he preached the gospel. Wherever he went, that's what he did. I would remind you, brothers, he writes, of the gospel that I preached to you. Now, we'll further describe what Paul means by gospel in a moment, but what does the word gospel itself mean? Some of you know we've talked about it recently. Literally, it means this, good news. Paul walked into the city of Corinth, and he shared good news with them. And good news is hard to come by these days, isn't it? You turn on your TV... You check your social media feed. You talk to friends uh, through Zoom or, or FaceTime or, or through work. And it seems that all we hear is bad news. Coronavirus, COVID-19, storms that are ripping towns apart, uprooting lives, death as a result of said coronavirus. Politics involved hatred. The, the bad is everywhere. But today, nearly 1,900 years after Paul walked into Corinth with some good news, I have good news that I want to share with you today. And that's why I'm so very glad that you have joined us this morning. I'm so very glad that your, your kids are listening so that they can hear this good news.
But before we get there, I want you to notice what happened when Paul shared the good news. It says this, that they received it. Not only did they receive it, which means they accepted it, they embraced the good news. They're standing on it. In other words, they have founded their lives now upon this bit of good news that Paul had shared with them. And not only is their life founded upon this good news, they're being saved by it. As long as they keep believing what Paul proclaimed. And so, what is it that Paul proclaimed? What is this good news. Verse 3 reads this way, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Consider that phrase, first importance. Some translations may say it this way, first of all. In one of my favorite books of all time, which some of you have been reading recently, Living the Cross-Centered Life, Pastor and author C.J. Mahaney writes this. He says, each of our lives is centered upon something. What's at the center of yours? Think about it for a moment. What's really the main thing of your life? Only one thing can truly be first in priority. So what's at the top of your list? Second to none. Or let me put it this way. What are you most passionate about? What do you love to talk about? What do you think about most when your mind is free? Or try this. What is it that defines you? Is it your career? A relationship? Maybe it's your family or your ministry. It could be some cause or movement, some political affiliation. Or perhaps your main thing is a hobby or a talent that you have or even your house, or your possessions. It could be toys. It could be video games. Friends, summer vacations, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, the absence of a boyfriend, the absence of a girlfriend. It could be good grades. It could be scholarships, finally moving out, uh, freedom from parents, never-ending rules. It could be cheer, basketball, track, soccer, football, the Super Bowl. could be work, money, a car, a new phone, pornography. could be Jesus. could be marriage, kids, education, career advancement, more money, a bigger house, shoes, clothes, style, binge-watching your favorite show. could be fitness, could be food. Could be retirement, grandkids, comfort, feeling accepted and loved, leaving a legacy, inspiring others. The list could go on and on and on. Many of these things have been uprooted. In this particular pandemic, many of these things that may have been central to your life, God in His sovereign love has taken them away. So what in the list defines you? As we move through life, our priorities and our passions, they ebb and flow. But Mahaney asks a great question. When it comes to centering your life, what really qualifies as the one thing God says should be the most important? What's the one thing that's really best according to God? Paul answers it in verse 3. 
He writes that he delivered to them the thing of first importance. Now it's helpful to make a connection between the thing of first importance. It is also the gospel. It is the good news that he speaks of in verse 1. This is our connection even to our study in Galatians because this gospel is what Paul is fighting for as he writes to the Galatians. So what is the good news? What is the thing that should be of first importance in our lives? What is Paul willing to fight for? What is Paul willing to die for? Well, it's the gospel. Notice the second half of verse 3. Here we go. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Paul says, this message, these truths of good news should be of first importance to every human being on earth. Why? Well, let's break it down and consider it in its four parts. First, we read that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. So, who is, who is Christ? Some suppose that, that Christ is Jesus' last name. First name is Jesus. Last name is Christ. But really, Christ is a title that comes from the Old Testament. A few other uh, similar titles would be the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One. The Old Testament, which is what Paul is referring to here as in accordance with the Scriptures promises that a Christ, a Messiah, the Anointed One will come and He will deliver Israel. Through the centuries, Israel came to believe that Christ would deliver them from their oppressors such as the Babylonians and the Greeks and finally the Romans. But the deliverance God had in mind was much bigger than deliverance from some human institution or army. God intended to send the Christ who would rescue and deliver His creation from their sin and their rebellion. God had promised to send a Christ who would atone, who would cover the sins of humanity once and for all. So this may shock you, but I'm going I'm to pull the band-aid off as quickly as I can. You are a sinner. You are not perfect. You have failed. You will continue to fail. Romans 6.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means this, I'm right there with you. And the problem is this, our sin separates us from God. Our choice to sin is a rebellion against His holiness, His instruction. His, his created order, His character. And so we have to understand that He doesn't move in the relationship. He doesn't change. We are the ones who move. We are the ones who turn away. And in the law, God commands Israel that they must offer sacrifices, lambs and, and goats and bulls and birds to atone for their sin. But none of these sacrifices is sufficient. They're mere shadows of what is to come. One final sacrifice that will ultimately atone. I want you to consider a passage from the Old Testament with me. Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 52, verse 13, into chapter 53. A passage that no doubt you are familiar with, but it says, Behold my servant, 
Well, the question we're asking, who is this servant? This servant is this promised one who will come. Behold, my servant will act wisely. He will be high and lifted up, and he will be exalted, as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Well, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord, it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul is made an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The question we have to ask of Isaiah 52, 53, and many other texts in Isaiah in the Old Testament is who do these describe? Who is this servant, this, this Christ, who is the Messiah who would offer himself up as a sacrifice for humanity so that their sins could be forgiven, who would make righteous many? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, the Christ who died for our sins, yours and mine, in accordance with the Scriptures. Hebrews 9, 12 reads, He entered once for all into the holy place, and it wasn't by the means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. This is good news. Jesus rescues us. Jesus comes to fix what our rebellion and our sin has broken. Jesus mediates and restores 
our relationship with our Creator. But that's not all. That's not the full message. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 4, and he tells us that Jesus the Christ was buried. And, and this is an important point of the message because it shows that Jesus really died. Following the brutal crucifixion, his lifeless body was taken down and placed in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. And there it rested. There it rested for three days. But the goodest part of the good news is this. Jesus the Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. After three days in the tomb, as He had predicted, Jesus defeats death itself. He rose from the dead, never to die again. When God warned Adam and Eve about eating from the tree and knowledge of good and evil in the garden, He told them if they ate of it, then they would surely die. And they did. And so did their kids, and, and so did their grandkids, and so did everyone after them, and so will we. And it very well may be COVID-19 that takes us from this life. Because death is the final enemy. But the good news is that Jesus the Christ has defeated even this enemy. And this is Paul's point in the chapter. Just as Jesus defeated death, so too will those whose lives are, are founded upon Him. Death will not have the final word. Jesus promises eternal life. Life beyond this life. Life eternal with Him forever. And because of His own resurrection, because of what we celebrate today and recognize and remember today, He does not promise this in vain. A follower of Buddha writes of the religious leader that when Buddha died, it was with that utter passing way in which nothing whatever remains. Muhammad died in Medina on June 8, 632. He was 61 and his tomb there is visited yearly by tens of thousands of Muslims, but they come to mourn his death. They're not there to celebrate his resurrection. Today we celebrate. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, as Dustin said earlier, we gather as a church to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's why we gather on the first day of the week. It's why we rejoice when we see a believer baptized because it symbolizes the resurrection of Jesus it's why we eat little crackers and, and drink juice together. We celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ. Later in this chapter, Paul writes, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, uh, where is your victory? Beautiful words. But if you doubt the validity of the resurrection, there's one more point that needs to be made. Christ appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. The gospel writers record of Jesus appearing both to individuals and, and then to groups of people following his resurrection. Paul here condenses that list uh, 
And he focuses on the apostles, beginning with Peter. Then he mentions the twelve, the disciples. In verse 6, he mentions that Jesus appeared to a group of 500 at one time. And he goes on to say that some of them are still alive, and they're still talking about their experience. Some of them, though, have fallen asleep, a, a euphemistic way of recognizing the death of a Christian. We don't, we don't die eternally. We fall asleep. We will wake again. And then in verse 7, he mentions that he appeared to James. James is Jesus' half-brother. We've talked about him a lot lately from the book of Galatians. He's the pastor at the church of Jerusalem. And Jesus appears specifically to James. And then last of all, meaning last in time and probably last in likelihood, Jesus appears to Paul. Acts chapter 9, the Damascus Road experience. So the resurrection of Jesus is not just a story that's cooked up in a back room. It's a, it's a well-documented historical fact. So a Christian isn't just a person who loves a good chicken sandwich. A Christian is someone who stands and falls on the truth that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus was buried, and that He rose again and appeared to hundreds of disciples. A Christian embraces and believes this gospel message. That's why Jerry Bridges writes this. The gospel is not only the most important message in all of history. It is the only essential message in all of history. Is this message of first importance in your life? Does Jesus' death and resurrection give purpose to your life? Does Jesus' death and resurrection give you hope in this life and hope in death? What will you do with Jesus today? What will you do with this good news today? John MacArthur writes this in his commentary, Without the resurrection, salvation could not have been provided. And without belief in the resurrection, salvation cannot be received. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10.9. So it is not possible, therefore, to be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you haven't confessed your faith in Jesus, I beg you to believe the Scriptures today. To confess with your mouth. If you are a Christian, you are a follower of Christ, but you've wandered away from this message of first importance, I encourage you to, to come back to the center and, and found your life upon this message again. As I mentioned earlier, this, this pandemic has provided many of us an opportunity to, to take some of those things that were so central and they're, they're no longer a part of what we do. They're no longer a part of who we are. I mean, if it was Major League Baseball... You don't have that right now. If it was the NBA Finals, you don't have that right now. Some of those things that were central have been taken and removed from you. And I believe it's God in His grace saying, remember what's really important. Remember what matters 
most. Because for some of you, you see fruit in your life of fear and anxiety, maybe even depression. It's because you're not centering. You're not centering on the thing of first importance, the message of first importance. And we want to help you to get back there. We're going to help you think through that. And I want to encourage you with, with, with yourself, you and the Lord today, with your family today, however you want to do this. Talk this over. Talk about the things that have typically been the center of your life. The things that have typically defined you and what should define you. And what that looks like. What does it look like that this message is of first importance? I challenge you to have that conversation. But, but I want to give you one more challenge, and that's this. We have to share this good news with the world. Uh, about a week ago, I was introduced, because it went absolutely viral on social media, to a video. And, and it went viral for a couple of reasons. One, it was published by John Krasinski, the actor. Very well known, uh, very liked, uh, just across the board. But the second reason it was so popular is because of the content. Uh, John got tired of, of hearing about all the bad news, and he decided, I'm going to do something about it. And so he, he started the Some Good News SGN network, and he spent about 15 minutes in a YouTube video just sharing some good news from across the, the globe in the midst of this. And people loved it. I loved it. I, I watched it two times and both times just tears coming out of my eyes. Because he highlighted the, the love and the, the kindness and, and the good things that we see going on in the world that, that we don't actually usually get to see because nobody tells us about them. But I couldn't help but think after watching that, we don't just have some good news. We have the best news of all to share with the world. We have the news of a loving God who defines love, who defines kindness and grace and mercy, who has given everything so that we might have hope and so that our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members might have hope. And so as you think of the people that you know and, and how they may be dealing with this particular pandemic, in this season, maybe you need to give them a call. Maybe you need to share not some good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected, and seen. Share that good news with them so that the Spirit may begin to cultivate in them hope and peace and joy all of those wonderful fruit that we're meant to enjoy. Met of you, I miss seeing you today. I really do. But we have hope in Christ. And though I can't look you in the eye today, I can know that, that His Word is at work in your heart just as it's been in mine. I love you, and I hope you have a blessed Easter today.
Father, we thank you that we have good news. Good news amidst all of the bad. The best news. And I pray that we would embrace it and I pray that we would share it with others. That we would know more of Christ and we would make more of Christ known as we move forward in 2020. We don't pray these things because of our own righteousness. We pray them because of the righteousness of the Christ, Jesus. In His name we pray.